This episode of Cruise Through HTX is brought to you by Speak Podcasting. That's my agency. If you've ever wanted to launch a show, be a guest on somebody's show, or turn your episodes and appearances into scroll-stopping videos, then look no further than Speak Podcasting. Email me now. I'll work with you. Freddie at speakpodcasting.com. S-P-E-K-E, podcasting.com. Today, I'm joined by head of production for the Houston Ballet, Michelle de los Reyes. As you know, the Houston Ballet's The Nutcracker is now playing at the Wortham Theater. That last date is December 27th. During this conversation, we discuss the challenges and rewards of producing The Nutcracker. She highlights the stamina required to get through the long run of performances and what happens when you have sick performers. All this and more. Learn more about The Nutcracker and plan your visit at HoustonBallet.org. Hi, I'm Ed Sheeran. This is Bruno Mars. Hey, it's Katy Perry. This is your man Flo Rida with Freddie Cruz. This is AJ Mitchell with Freddie Cruz. Freddie Cruz. Freddie Cruz. Tell you she go pick Mr. 305 and you already know what it is. My name is Freddie and it's time to cruise through HTX. What is the hardest part about producing The Nutcracker? Truthfully, I think the hardest part comes once the show is open. Uh, The Nutcracker is the production that we do that runs the longest. We do 35, 36, 37, depending on the year, performances. And a lot of those performances are two shows a day, back to back to back to back. So truthfully, the hardest part is just kind of having the stamina to get through the whole run. What happens when somebody gets sick? Like, do you have backups or backups or backups or backups? Or? Um, you know, with the dancers, there's a lot of built-in coverage. Um, sometimes later in the run, it gets a little dicey, even with the large number of dancers there are. But with our crew, uh, it's a little a little scarier. We do have uh, our stagehands work with the, the local union, the IATSE union. And so they're great. If one of our stagehands gets sick, they'll send us somebody who's qualified to cover and, you know, they can usually integrate pretty seamlessly. Uh, but we do have two stage managers. And if one of them gets sick, hopefully the other one hasn't been around them and does not get sick um, because they're really the only people we have backstage who could call the show. Um, And then we do have a handful of assistants, uh, like deck assistants, kind of not full stage managers, but they help with the stage on the deck. Um, And we have, depending on the year, two to four of those people. um, And they do provide us a little bit of coverage uh, backstage between the person that's calling and the the, the stage crew that's running it. So there's some coverage, not a whole lot. We just try and take really good care of ourselves and keeps ourselves healthy. I see a spinoff classic right now in the making. I'm visualizing this right now where you have a deck assistant who's dressing up in a nutcracker costume and going out <laughs> because there's an emergency and then falling over in the nutcracker costume onto the orchestra and the cymbals crash, but then the crowd goes wild and then all of a sudden you're a world, a global sensation. That would be crazy. <laughs> Thankfully, you know, people who work in production oftentimes don't like being on stage. Um, that's why we're kind of behind the scenes. So thankfully, um, if we have kind of emergency coverage, our ballet masters, who are the people that teach the ballet to the dancers, um, they'll pop in in an emergency and and cover those things. So we can stay in the dark doing our things without eyes on us. (laughs) Well, that's very, that's good for you. Um, I want to, I want to ask you about, you know, your role as the head of production and your team and, and for people who 
are are like me and not well versed in uh, the cultural arts when it comes to ballet and this kind of production. Um, how far in advance are you working to get something like this produced? Yeah, it's interesting because with Nutcracker, which is something we do year after year after year, we kind of in some ways never stop working on it. Um, for instance, my team, you know, we've been open for a couple weeks now and my team just had a meeting last week to talk about all of the things that have happened so far that we need to make sure to address next year when we pull it back out. So we do kind of have this year long conversation and planning about next time we do Nutcracker. What needs repair? What didn't work? How can we make it better? Um, but as far as active, actual work, um, the show opens the day after Thanksgiving and then about two weeks before that, the crew all loads the show into the theater. And then two weeks prior to that, we spend at the warehouse prepping the show. So pulling it out, doing all those things that we wanted to address from the year before, making sure pieces are in good shape, um, that nothing has you know gotten damage or decay or whatever over the year that it's been sitting in our warehouse. Um, and so I guess about a month before we open, we start actively working on it. How do you keep the nutcrackers hair and and mustache and the beard how do you keep all that in shape after it's been locked up in a warehouse i mean is that is is that even a thing that y'all are concerned with or is it just like a little frou-frou and then you're good to go yeah we actually have a team of um wig and makeup crew that are excellent um they obviously we keep all of our stuff in in our warehouse but the warehouse area that houses our costumes and wigs and things like that is climate controlled so that really helps it stay in good shape. Um, you don't have the humidity and the heat kind of wearing those things out, degrading the glue, things like that. Um, but even in climate control, you know, over years and years, things start to break down. So they'll pull it out and assess it. Like, is it good enough that they can just wash it and refresh it and maybe freshly style it? Um, or is it something that we have to replace for this year so that it looks good on stage? What do you find to be the most rewarding part of producing a show like this? Yeah, that's a good question because, you know, it's funny every year Nutcracker comes around and anybody in ballet is like, well, it's Nutcracker time again. You know, we do it so many times through the course of our careers. Um, and so we've, we've talked about it a lot this year. What's the most rewarding part? Like what's the part that irritates you? You know, you hear the music, it comes on car commercials and you're like, oh my gosh, it's that time again. Um, but we do, for me, we do student matinee performances and the kids just lose their mind with excitement and joy when certain parts of the the show happen like um in the first act there's a dancer that's dressed up as a, an old english sheepdog and he's running around the stage like a dog and the kids think that's so funny and so cute and so you get to hear their reactions um there's a part where the rats come in through the audience and jump up on the stage and people get surprised and like scream out loud and it's it's the audience reaction and, and the joy, like the real pure joy that people have when they're experiencing the Nutcracker, whether it's for the first time or the 20th time. That's the stuff that is really rewarding and it's the best part. Well, you brought up the most irritating part. Now I got to know what's the most irritating part. Is it a costume malfunction that you got to have replaced at the last minute or something like that? Or? Yeah. Uh, you know, it, I think it varies from person to person. And I'm trying to think what's been the most irritating thing for me this year. I, it's, I don't know. It's like the weird little stuff. Like, well, this is silly, but it's a conversation I just had um, yesterday and today. Um, in our backstage, we have so many costumes in this ballet and so many performers that we can't just use the standard dressing rooms at the Wortham. 
we actually have to put up these tents, like these nylon tents that are like, you know, like the pop-up cover tents that you have outside when you're camping or whatever. We have a whole row of those that we set up in the back and then we hang a curtain so that we can make on stage makeshift dressing rooms for the very fast costume changes that the dancers have or when there's like, for instance, the girls all go into their snowflake costumes and they were just in the party scene. So it's a whole bunch of them changing all at the same time. So we have this set up in the backstage and the path to get through is narrow and every day the curtain moves and the path gets narrower and it's a constant battle to keep it wide enough so that it's safe. And so everybody can get where they need to go for the, for me this year, I think that's one of the most annoying things, but it's just little stuff, you know, you do the same thing over and over again and there's things that just don't go perfectly. And it's a constant upkeep and, and uh, process of, getting it all right getting in the way of our progress don't they know that we have a system in place and it's got to stay that way <laughs> yes so i want to i want to know i want to sort of shift the conversation michelle to your role as a uh, head of production and uh maybe some some advice or wisdom you could impart upon somebody who is fascinated by the cultural arts but doesn't want to be on stage yet wants to be behind the scenes. What what would you, what would you tell that person? Yeah. I mean, that was always my career path. In fact, in college, when I had to take an acting class, I was horrified and (laughs) somehow got through it, but it was, uh, it was a lot for me. Um, I think for somebody who wants to do kind of the behind the scenes stuff in the arts, I would recommend just getting as much experience and as diverse experience as you can um, I've done all sorts of things. I've sewed costumes. I've built sets. Um, I, you know, for a couple of years here at the ballet, I was actually the company manager. So I was completely out of the backstage operation portion. And I was dealing with the day to day of the dancers and their health and injuries and um, booking travel for tours and all sorts of things like that. And even that work has helped me in my position as head of production, both in building relationships and just understanding the bigger picture of how the organization works, even though we're all about what happens on stage. And, you know, because of that behind the stage, um, there's still so much more to making an artist organization work and successful and so many people that are involved. So I would just recommend experience as much as you can do as many things as you can. um, And, and, you know, try it all and learn all the people and the relationships in the, arts world. And there's so many personalities and so many different aspects to sort of kind of wrap your head around. So I want to ask you about, because it's not just to the lay person or to a kid uh, who goes to see the the performance. All it is, is just a bunch of people in costume dancing, but there's so much more to it. You were just talking about, you know, uh, uh, something like an aisle getting thinner and thinner and thinner, and that kind of impedes on the progress of, of costume changes and how things operate behind the scenes. What are some of the most key elements when it comes to working with all these different personalities, with all these different backgrounds, uh, in order to make a production like this successful year after year? Yeah, this is this is something actually that I say to uh, in the past, I've uh, kind of done guest lecture things for stage management classes, um, because that's kind of really my direct path to where I am was through stage management. Um, I think. Being 
really understanding as, or as understanding as you can about what everybody else is trying to accomplish. You know, we all have the same ultimate goal of putting the show on the stage, but we don't see the day to day of the why and the how for everybody else's part. Um, So just having a real respect for everybody, understanding that everybody's pulling in the same direction, even if our paths are different and um, trying to be compassionate when, you know, when you're interacting with somebody and they're not doing something the way you would do it, or it's not achieving the same goal that you're trying to achieve, approaching that with compassion and curiosity, because truthfully, everybody in the arts is in the arts because they're so passionate about it. Um, Everybody loves what they do. Everybody wants to do the best that they can do. Um, that's what drives people that work in the arts. So really approaching it with compassion and curiosity, um, and trying to, you know, bridge those or bridge those gaps. I guess that's the phrase I was looking for. Um, so that we're all, you know, pulling in that same direction. I feel like, I feel like staying alive with John Travolta doesn't do like doesn't do that industry much justice because you're talking about compassion and understanding and collaboration. And you got the the guy in the movie like, no, it sucked. It was terrible. It's the worst thing I've ever seen. You call yourself a dancer. Yeah. I mean, I do think that that probably absolutely happens in the arts world, you know? Um, and there are all sorts of personalities, you know, I'm thankfully the people that we work with here are pretty great. Um, and you know, everybody's, you know, wants to put on these awesome shows and is very excited about it. But certainly in my career, I've worked with some jerks and sometimes you just smile and nod and try to accomplish what you need to accomplish and don't take it personally. So I want to know if there was one thing, let's just pretend for one second that there was that, that there was no, there was no budgetary constraints. If you could add one thing like on your vision board, moonshot wish list to add to the Nutcracker uh, next year, what is it you would add? That's a good question. That's a tricky question too, because I feel like our Nutcracker is so spectacular. Um, We have, it's the biggest production that the ballet owns. Um, You know, we have these giant 7,000 pound house unit on the stage. We've got snow and projections. I mean, I really have a hard time thinking of the thing I would add on stage, um, that would make it better. Yeah. I, I don't know. I just think the production is so spectacular. There's so much magic in it. Um, we have really cool old school theater tricks that are magical. And then we have some really cool contemporary, you know, we use projections, we have automation in the production. Um, yeah, I, I can't think of anything I would add. <laughs> What is so cool about the Nutcracker is that it's a timeless classic. It goes back way, 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 way back yet. There are futuristic elements that you all are implementing. And I think that's what makes the Houston cultural arts scene so incredible. And I'm sure there are aspects like this across the United States and across the world as well. But uh, I'm a little biased because I'm a Houston native. Um, What has been your favorite thing to be able to integrate from the old world to the new world? It's funny because our artistic director um, loves projections and he thinks that I don't love them (laughs) because, you know, everything new technologically is expensive. Um, And so, of course, my job is to keep an eye on the budget and the bottom line. And so I have to, you know, bring that up when we have those conversations. But I really do love how we've been able to integrate projections into ballet. 
um, and and how that technology is advancing. Because you think of projections mostly as being, you know, a, a projector that's shooting an image on something, but there's, you know, like LED screens now that you can put on stage and replace projectors and you can send your image wirelessly to a receiver. So you don't even necessarily have to have cabling anymore. Um, and so that stuff is really cool. We did a production last season. Yeah. The beginning of last season where there was a hospital bed on stage and we had a, like a heart rate monitor next to the hospital bed. And we were like, how are we going to do this? We can't have a cable running across the floor. And so we ended up hiding the battery in the hospital bed and having a wireless receiver. So we could send the, the image of the, um, the heart rate monitor to the screen um, next to the bed and still keep the floor clear for all the dancers and keep it safe. And I know that's not, that's not like super duper cutting edge, but it's still pretty cool um, for theater to be able to do things like that. It seems to me like it would also present you with the opportunity to have more space on stage if you were to integrate more and more of that kind of stuff. And there are things that you could play around with that would sort of add to that experience, the, the sort of old world meets new world experience when someone's watching. Yeah. Stage space is always at a premium with dance. You know, I mean, dancers need clear floor to be able to do what they do. So any way that we can contribute to that with the tech is, is pretty great. All right. So we are on the cusp of wrapping up this season of Houston Ballet's The Nutcracker uh, for 2024. What do we have to look forward to? Because you all are open year round, putting on all kinds of amazing shows. Yes. Um, so we have, um, like always, every time we move into the theater, we have a program of mixed bills, um, which are kind of more contemporary pieces, um, usually three in a night. Um, so we've got that. Uh, in the spring and then more towards the summer. But then we also have um, Stanton's Cinderella coming up. So that's pretty exciting. Um, it's a little different take on Cinderella. I don't want to like, I want people to be surprised when they come and see it on how, but in a way that's really exciting. Like I really love his Cinderella. Um, and so that's, that's coming up after the first of the year here in a bit. And that'll be great. For newcomers to the Houston area, what is the one thing they should know or that you hope or that you wish they, that they would that they would learn and understand about the Houston art scene as uh, it pertains to the Houston ballet? I think, you know, it's interesting because I actually came from outside of the ballet world in, into the ballet world. And I think people that don't know about ballet have a certain perception that it is maybe elitist or stuffy or things like that, but it is absolutely not. Uh, dance is for everyone. Uh, one of the things I love with our mixed bill programs is that they are a little more contemporary. And I know a lot of times things like Cinderella and Swan Lake sell because they're big ballet names, but I always encourage my friends to come to the mixed bills because they're, it's contemporary. It's things you haven't seen. It's fun, you know, like, we did a ballet with the Beach Boys music. We've done ballets to the Rolling Stones. Um, so it's really accessible in that way. But even our more classical ballets, um, the, the names you know, Sleeping Beauty and Swan Lake and Cinderella, those are for everyone. I think don't be afraid to come to the ballet. You belong here. We, you know, we want you here. Come and enjoy dance. It's really a, a beautiful experience. Love it. 
The ballet, the Houston Ballet's The Nutcracker is happening through December 27th. Uh, get your tickets, HoustonBallet.org. Talking to head of production for the ballet, it is Michelle De Los Reyes. Thank you so much for stopping by the podcast today. Thank you for having me. It's been fun. Hey, it's me. I'm back with a quick little nudge. If you enjoyed this podcast as much as I did putting it together for you, then please leave a review on your favorite podcast platform and subscribe to the newsletter at cruisethroughhtx.com and share with your family and friends. Thank you.